Amen. It's nice to know that we serve a good father. Amen. Amen. Hmm. So I want you to, uh, good, good, that's, that's nice. I want you to, uh, to think about this. Uh, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to spend a couple of days at Leavenworth a couple of weeks ago. And we had never been there before. It was beautiful. Ever been to Leavenworth? Not Leavensworth, Leavenworth. That, that kind of tricked me a little bit at first, I'll be honest with you. But uh, it was gorgeous. I mean, it was just like in the middle of the mountains. It was beautiful there. And, uh, and we, we had done some walking and done some stuff around and just checked out all the different places. And, and one afternoon, we decided to just uh, enjoy the pool at the hotel. And we got there, and it was a really hot day. It happened to be a really, really hot day there at the hotel. And uh, it was just Nancy and I uh, at the pool. And there was this one lady that was kind of sunbathing to the side. And, uh, and so we got there. Nancy goes right into the pool. Uh, I am there and I am so thirsty because it's so hot. And I happen to have a fresca with me. And so I, let's see if, I can, if this works now. I went and did this. Listen. Uh, that worked out good. At which point, the lady that was sunbathing said, uh, you can turn this off now, by the way. The, the lady that was sunbathing goes, wow, now that sounded refreshing. And I felt a little guilty. Not too guilty, just a little guilty. And I, I actually was going to go and, and, and bring her my soda, but... But she was like sunbathing, and you know, like she was like laying on her back on, on on her front, and I could just tell she wasn't fully clothed, and I just thought it would be odd for me to do that, so I didn't do anything, and, and you know, it was this moment of like, okay, well, I don't know what really to do, and excuse me for a second here, <laughs> why wasted, right? Uh, so, uh, and, and and so uh, she, I could just tell she gets restless, and then. She just kind of gets up and gets dressed and, and leaves. And I'm like, wow, that was, that was interesting. And so we're at the pool. About a half hour later, she comes back with a Subway sandwich and her own soda. <laughs> she goes, man, I got to tell you, as soon as I heard that sound, I just felt like I had to go and get a soda. You know, and, and, and we got to talking, and we, under, we found out she had just climbed one of the mountains there. Uh, she got special permission to do that, and she talked, we talked about mission trips, and we just got into this fantastic discussion about what we do and what she did, and she was a nurse, and she'd love to go on a mission trip sometime, and it was just amazing, you know, just, just that sound. I want to talk to you about the power of inspiration today. Can we do that? Uh, how, how just all it takes is just a little sound, a little something, and, and all of a sudden we're, we are experiencing something called inspiration. Uh, when you were singing just now, wasn't that inspiring, right? To be able to sing and to hear not just the, the worship team up here, but the voices around you. How many of you, when you sing, sometimes you listen for the voices around you? I, I listen for the children's voices especially. For some reason, they really bless me. And I'm just listening, and I'm, and I'm it just... 
just the right sound. I'm going to talk to you about a story. It's found in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 3. Let me give you a little background on this uh, before we get into verse 9. And the background is this, that Israel had become a divided nation. And so you had Israel and Judah. King Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous king, he ruled in Judah. And King Joram ruled in Israel. Now, Joram was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. I ought to give you some background there. And he was an idolatrous king. But they decided to team up together in this situation. They made an alliance together, and, and, and they actually joined with uh, another king of uh, the, the Edom nation, and they ventured to fight against the Moabites together. And so they recruited each other, they got together, they start going towards this, and, and this is where we pick up the story. Joram uh, was not a good king. Because he took after his father. I love what Abraham Lincoln says. He said, everyone is born an original. Sadly, most die copies. It's amazing to me how many times I talk to people who have never experienced being who God designed them to be. And they're walking around and they are the sum total of other people's opinions. They are copies. They're not in charge. They are puppets. Either the circumstances or puppets to, to, to situations or people. And they have never become who God designed them to be. That's Joram. So we pick up the story in verse 9, and it says, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And then it says, After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves, for the animals with them. So in other words, uh, the idea was, let's go and let's, let's try to sneak up on these guys. So we're going to go through the desert. This was Joram's great idea. So they went through the desert, and as they were going through the desert, and it says seven times, which basically is the number of completion. Seven times means that this is the, 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 the you know, as far as you can go. They, they marched all out. <laughs> they, they marched all they could march. They would just, they, they, and there was no more water, and there was this dry, parched land, and now they're just, they have nothing. Have you ever been there? In the desert? How often have you tackled the problem on your own? without God, and found yourself traveling along a roundabout route. And then suddenly, you run out of resources. Suddenly, you run out of water. Have you ever been thirsty? I remember when I was a little boy, we would go to the beach... My uncle, he was a funny guy. And one day we ran out of water at the beach. 
There was only salt water. That was not good. We ran out of water. We ran out of soda. And uh, my, we, we had, my, my uncle had this bucket of ice, and he thought he'd be funny, you know. And so he kind of lined this all up, all his cousins and brothers. And, and, and then he would hold, it was a hot, sunny day at the beach, and he would hold this ice as it would drip. And we would all get in line, and one by one, you know, like that. And then, okay, next, you know, we would do this. And it was just kind of his way of, but I remember feeling like really, really thirsty, like I need something here. And the drops of water were just not enough. Have you ever experienced that in life? Where you feel like somebody is toying with you, and you just barely have enough to survive, but not enough to really thrive. And usually this happens when we go into the wilderness on our own. And maybe some of you right now are in the wilderness today. And maybe some of you are in your seventh lap and you're wondering what to do. Maybe your marriage is dry and you're thirsty for intimacy. Maybe some of you are in your seventh lap financially and your finances are dehydrating, gallons of bills and drops of wa- in the wallet. Maybe some of you have been hoping for some ideas and some breakthroughs, and you, your mind is withered. You're, you have this parchment of a brain. <laughs> and no motivation. And you wonder, what do I do? How do I get out of this? desert and you need some rain you need some water anybody gone through those desert times in their lives anybody don't have to raise your hand now but i wonder if anybody's going through that right now where you're like man i'm just just not i'm just not doing well i i tell you i'll be very honest with you there are times in my life when I just feel dry, like, what am I going to, what am I going to share with people? Week after week, you know, like, you just get to the point where you're like, what, I, I need to go to a source where I could drink so that I can give to you something fresh. Does that make sense? And there are times when I need that rain. I wonder, I wonder what li- lingers beneath the surface of your Confident smiles. And yet, there's something tormenting you that you know all is not well. I wonder what needs you have in your life that you recognize only God can meet. And if you're sitting there saying, you know, I don't really have any needs right now in my life that only God can meet, then you're living a small life. Because we should be living the kind of life where we are constantly having to draw from the well of God. Amen? Here's what I've learned in my life. That out of the fires of desperate circumstances burn the embers of unguarded trust. Out of the fires of desperate circumstances burn the ambers that drive me 
to Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I've come to the point in my life where there's not a day that goes by that I don't recognize my dependency on God. I stopped doing life by myself a long time ago. (laughs) Why do we always wait for the seventh lap? Why is God often our last resort? You know, God is not someone that we turn to when we've exhausted all other options. Do you agree agree with me on that? I remember some years ago, I was at a mission trip in Panama, and some friends of mine wanted to teach me this game called Rook. Anybody play Rook here? So I'm a creative kind of a guy. I'm always up for a new game. I'm always up to learning some stuff. I'm like, let's, let's learn Rook. And so they're teaching me Rook. And if you don't know how to play the game, this will be very, a little bit meaningless to you. But if you do, I think you'll get it. And one of the things they were saying, they were nice. They weren't just teaching me how to play the game. They were trying to teach me strategy. And the strategy was, you know what you got to do, because it's going to come back to haunt you if you don't do this. You've got, what, this, is what, this is the language they used. You've got to bleed the trump. Do you know what I'm talking about by that language, some of you guys? you got to bleed the trump. And I'm going, what, is, what do you mean? That's so, and my word was like, that is so robotic. If that's all you got to do, then this is like, what, what's the fun of the game, you know? And so I tried to do it without bleeding the trump. And guess what? I was doing really good until the very end. And then boom, all the points were against me. If you know how to play rook, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I think this is the way we deal with God. We, we, we want to get creative. We want to do it our own way. And God's saying, man, no, man, you got to bleed the trump. You got to go to God first. Don't wait till the end. And maybe I've inspired you to learn how to play rook. I don't know. Maybe we'll see. See, God is not the spare tire. You know, like it's like like we we just wait until our life goes flat, and that's when we go to God. God is not the donut that hobbles us along until we can replace him with a better option. God is the good year of our life. God is the firestone of our life. God is the power king of our life. He is not this replacement thing that we do until we can then get our lives back together again and do it our way. How are we doing, okay? And so, and so, they need rain, and it's the seventh lap, and, and they don't know what to do. In fact, verse 10 says, what? Exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together? Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to the Moab? You know, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever wanted to slap somebody for Jesus? I mean, I don't know. It's, I'm just thinking right now. And this guy is blaming God. You're laughing because I know you have. I know it's not just me. I actually did that once. I was having a Bible study, Pastor Fred, with somebody in New York, far from here. And and he was like a very scientific mind. I I love the guy. He was a great guy. 
And, and, and at some point, we're studying about the existence of God, and I'm, I'm just sharing with them all these Bible texts, and I'm giving them some, some scientific evidence. And, and at one point, he just looks at me, and he says, his name was Jeff. He looks at me, and he goes, red hair, I'll never forget this. He looks at me, and he goes, well, how do you know this is not just all a dream that we're in? And I don't know what possessed me. I just went, Pfft. He's like, ouch. I go, did that hurt? He goes, yeah, that's not a dream. Trust me. You know, you ever wanted to smack somebody for God? This is for Jesus. The guy got baptized. I want you to know. So it was a good thing at the end, you know. And I have, I have, I have, I've gotten a little bit more careful about how I deal with that. So if you, don't worry about studying the Bible with me. I'm, I'm just telling you, you know, we blame God when times are bad, even though we don't live for God when times are good. Here's the king of Israel that's blaming God for something that he decided his plan, and now he's like, I, I don't know, why is God doing this for us? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? You know, one of the things that I've, I've learned and this is so true. Those closest to God always ask the right questions. See, we think that those closest to God are the ones that have all the answers. Uh-uh. Those closest to God are the ones who know how to ask just the right questions. The questions that would lead us to God and his answers. So Jehoshaphat says, you know, there's got to be somebody. And I love this. I love this. It says, an officer of the king of... I can't wait to get to heaven. There's a bunch of these people whose names we don't know. They always pop up somewhere. Have you noticed this? They're just people that we, they call them servants, officers. It's this guy, this guy. But we don't know their names. And, it's, and you're like, I can't wait to meet this group of people, of unnamed people that we have in the Bible. But this officer of the... It says, this officer of the king of Israel... Answers, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Now, listen, this is important. You know who this officer is? Do you remember when Elijah was praying and saying, you know, I'm the only one? And, and, God, and, and, the, and the Bible says there were 7,000 others who didn't bow their, their, their knee to Baal. Remember that? Well, this is one of those 7,000 quietly living his life for God behind the scenes. And at this moment, it's his moment to speak up. And he says, I know somebody. And it's, his name is Elisha. And it says, it says uh, uh, um, he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. So and he may not be as good as Elijah. You know, he was kind of like Elijah's servant guy, you know. But and he hasn't really come out yet you know we don't really know much about him although I heard something about some guys trying to make fun of his baldness and uh, that didn't work out well for them read about it in the chapter before that uh, uh, and, and then I noticed that he was able to do some stuff with water and he, he, he seems like he knows what he's doing this is the guy I think there's a prophet in Israel and his name is Elisha let's go to him so the Jehoshaphat said the word of the Lord is with him so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha, 
They went to him, and Elisha said to the king, now, if this is your first sermon, by the way, I would not recommend this. But Elisha is young, and he just wants to smack this guy. And he does it with words. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do we have to do with each other? <laughs> I love that. Like, why are you coming to me now? Go to the prophet of your fathers and the prophets of your mother, you know, Jezebel. And that's what you've been going through all this time. Now suddenly you're coming to me? Sure, I get it. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to hand us over to Moab. Again, he is blaming God. And again, I just want to smack this guy. I don't know about you. Why is it that we always go to God as our last resort? And Elisha said, I love this, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you or even notice you. Have you noticed something about Elisha? You know, can I just be honest with you? And I, good news is I, I, I'm not God and I'm not a prophet, so I don't know who it is. But, but some of you need to just kind of thank somebody in your pew. Because the only reason why God even tolerates you right now is because of them. Now, God loves you. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But some of us have been mistreating God and not regarding him in our lives. And then we want him when we, we have problems. And I love what Elijah is saying. Look, man, if it wasn't for Joseph, there are Josephats sitting right now that you need to thank. There are people in your lives that, that, that have been, are the reason why God still hasn't come and redone the world. Do you know that? That's what the Bible says. But for the very elect, God wants no one to perish. There are some of us who are going to have to thank people when we get to heaven. Thank you, man. I, I, I was an idiot. Uh, uh, yeah. You should have smacked me. Thank you. I mean, I know this sounds a little crazy to some of you, but I'm just being honest with you. I, I, I think we just, again, we sanitize everything. We want to franchise everything. We never want to talk about God this way. But the reality is that there is some reality here that we need to understand and, and that we cannot take for granted those who are examples in our lives. Because here is Joseph, Jehoshaphat in a world of that, 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 that was constantly tempting Jehoshaphat to live a compromised life. In a world where ordinary and indifference ruled the world, Jehoshaphat opted for extraordinary. How cool is that? Don't you love it when you meet people like that? When you meet people that, that just will not listen to the voices around them, that will live their lives not reactively but proactively? 
Don't you love it when, when all of a sudden, you, 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 isn't it inspiring? <laughs> to see and hear people. that love God. People that don't let the voices defeat them or seduce them into mediocrity. People that do not settle for good enough. Some of you have heard me say this, the greatest, ex- the greatest enemy to excellence is good. It's good enough. And we get to the point, so many of us live our lives good. Right? What is it about that? Right? You... Some of you have seen me do this before. Uh, I'm just going to illustrate it for you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Now go a little higher. What's that about? Right there. Why? Why is it that the first time we don't go like that? It's like, some of you are like, okay. And then it's like, oh, yeah, higher, okay. You know? why, why? Why is it that our first attempt is always the less attempt? Why can't we go straight for the for the wonderful time. I love what Erwin McManus says in the sermon. He says, you will, your life will never become what you dare not imagine. Do you believe that? Now, the story has an interesting moment here. How many of you have been reading the story ahead of time here? as I'm talking. Go ahead and go to the next. This very next one is, is always funny to me. Elijah says, okay, now bring me a harpist. Hold on, time out. What? We're, you know, we're, we're, we're dying of thirst. We need, we need you to pray for rain. Not, we don't need a concert right now. You know, uh, actually, this was not so odd in those days. Uh, prophets would walk around with, with harpists. They, they would actually have musicians go with them, right? And so here's this guy, and here's this prophet. He's like, bring me the harpist. I need the harpist. There actually happened to be one around. He's dying of thirst, you know. His fingers are probably all, like, really not doing well, you know. And he's like, Really? Bring me a harpist. Why? What is up with that? You know what that is? This, you know, we, we totally misunderstand this about, about music. So we think that when, when, when I start praying and the musicians come up, that somehow this somehow increases God's availability to us. No, it doesn't do that. Why do we have music? Why, why do we sing in church? Why did God even give us music? Because there's something that happens when we praise God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. Have you ever heard this before? I love that. You see, Music doesn't increase God's availability. It intensifies our awareness of God's presence. That's what it should do anyway. So when, we, when, 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 when Elisha is asking for somebody to play the harp, this is purposeful. He's like, I'm about ready to make a statement here. 
And I'm going to need some music so that when I make this statement, you get inspired to do what I ask you to do. This is not like some new thing that new contemporary churches do. This was done back then. And he just says, bring me the harpist. Just bring it to me. I need that. Wouldn't it be cool, by the way, if we had our own personal harpist? Musicians that came along with us? You get into a fight with your spouse? And you're about to ready to make a good point, and you're like, all right, now, nah, bring me the harpist. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? You're about to teach your children a good lesson, and you're like, you go, bring me the harpist, right? There's been times, I kid you not, I've been at board meetings where I need to make a point. And I'm like, I just wish I had a harpist right now. See, look, you watch a movie. Here's what you're going to notice. All good movies, there's always music going on behind the background. Why? Because it's trying to help you understand inspiration. And here he is. Bring me the harpist. I need you to do this. And while the harpist was playing, the Bible says, while the harpist was playing, I think we, I think we, I think we, we give too much credit to the warriors. But how many times do we read this in the Bible where the musicians are doing their work first and everything changes? Have you noticed that? While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And he said, this is what the Lord says. Now, I'll talk to you about what the Lord says in a moment. But I want you to look at this. Wouldn't it look silly if you just kind of happened to witness this from the outside? You know what's going on. The people are there. They're dying of thirst. This is the last lap. They asked for the prophet. And the prophet says, let's, let's play a song. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be silly? I'm debating whether to use this analogy, but I, I think I will. I, I was watching a, a show, this is years ago, and, and it was a beer commercial, so forgive me for that, but I'm watching this beer commercial. I'll use anything if it illustrates God, right? And, and, and uh, I forgot what it was. It was like uh, so, some kind of event. Uh, uh, I can't remember. It was like a sporting event. And, and, uh, and so like the people that were watching, uh, they all kind of were turning their cans Maybe some of you might have seen this in such a way so that you read certain words on the cans, and they were all doing it. It was like really superstitious, you know, like, like if we do this, we do this, it's going to happen. And sure enough, it happened, you know. And then the tagline was something to the effect of, uh, it's only, it's only uh, stupid if it doesn't work. And I, let's be honest. You look at God and what he does, and you say, Really? walk around the city seven times? Really? Like, really dunk in the water seven times? Really? Like, spit in my eyes and, and rub mud in my eyes? Really? Like, it only looks stupid if it doesn't work. Isn't that true? See, this is the way I love God. God loves to do stuff that is so crazy, that is so wild, you would never, th like, how does this work? It works because it's God. And it's not superstitious. What God does is real. What God does is powerful. And so he says, this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. 
I don't know about you. But like, if I'm dying of thirst, and it's my seventh lap, the last thing I want to do is dig ditches. Am I, is it just me? Am I right? I want you to dig ditches. Because inspiration has to cause implementation at some point. As as if God says, I will make it rain, trust me, but you dig the ditches to collect the blessings. Sometimes we want God to make it rain, and we're not willing to do the work to dig the ditches. I think God says, I need you to dig the ditches. I, I, I think sometimes we forget how important it is to dig the ditches. We just want God to bless. We come to church and we say, God, bless me. But can I tell you something? And this is going to sound a little counterintuitive. But every time we fill a hole, God, it's like, it's, like, it's like we're digging a ditch. Catch this for a second, all right? Every time you volunteer for children's ministry and you're filling that hole, you're digging a ditch. Every time you volunteer and you sing and you play the drums and you're doing something up here, you're filling a hole, you're digging a ditch. Every time you're willing to serve for God's cause, whether you're giving a Bible study or you're doing something to help God bring somebody to Jesus Christ, you're filling a hole, you're digging a ditch. And God is waiting for us to get active that way. And I have to say, we have to be really careful to not become a complacent church. It's so easy to say, well, everybody else is doing it. Why, Why do I have to do it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm living my life, and I'm having a good time. I can't wait for the pastor to be done with the sermon so I can go home and have lay activities at the house and just chill and don't wait till next Sabbath. But can I tell you something? You will never experience fulfillment in the cause of God until you start digging some ditches. You will never be able to collect the rain until you start digging some ditches. Every time you invite somebody to church, you're filling a hole. You're digging a ditch. There's all kinds of excuses for not digging ditches. Excuses like it's too hard, it costs too much. Ask the rich young ruler if that's the case today. Or another excuse is it's too risky. Ask King Agrippa from the book of Acts whether it's too risky or not. Or ask Zacchaeus or the woman at the well who risked everything to dig ditches. Or I'm too busy. You remember the parable of the banquet? The field, the cow, the wife. Remember that? Too busy to dig ditches. Or, or maybe there's a better way. King Saul, ask him if there's a better way. Or maybe some of you think, you know, we've done that before. We've tried digging ditches. It doesn't work. Yeah, ask the disciples when Jesus asked them to go fishing again when they had fished all night long and they caught fish. We use all kinds of excuses. We think it's stupid. Well, ask Noah if it's stupid. Ask Abraham if it's stupid. Ask Joshua if it's stupid. Ask Naaman if it's stupid. Ask the servant at the wedding if it's stupid. When Jesus says, go get some water, we're going to turn this into wine. We come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't dig ditches. But can I tell you honestly, trust me on this when I tell you this. I I believe this with all my heart. It is not until you you, you, you get that shovel in your hand and you begin to dig ditches that you, you really begin to experience the full power and fulfillment of living a life for Christ. You don't need to dig ditches to be saved. Jesus died on the cross for you. Trust me on that. That's great. But you're just getting just this, just a, a little bit of what it really means to be a believer. 
Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, In all your ways, how many? In all your ways acknowledge him. We can't expect God to show up in our work unless we do our work God's way. To be able to, 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 to get into the point where we have the audacity to do it God's way. And then verse 17 says, For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. I love this next line. Don't forget this line. When, if, you're, if, you're, if this is the seventh lap for you, and you're wondering what God can do, just this next line is so powerful. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Do you believe me? Do, do, do you believe Elisha? I, I know some of you are, are so parched and, and, and you're so dry that you, you've forgotten that this is an easy thing for God. And maybe you've lost some courage. So I want to encourage you today. Pick up the shovel and trust that this is an easy thing for God to do. He's going to send rain like you wouldn't believe. This is an easy thing for the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. I'll throw in some other stuff too, not just the rain. I'll give you everything. You will cut down every good tree, stop all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. I'm, you got this, man. I mean, you're asking for water, but God says, don't insult me. I got this. I could do way more than that. We can learn and we can get trained, but only God can make it rain. Isn't that true? Sometimes it doesn't seem like anything is happening while you're digging the ditches. But we have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes. Amen? The Bible says faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Evidence of things not yet seen. I don't know about you, but I've, I've learned that if I could just pick up that shovel, and even if I just make a little hole, I can expect God to do great things in my life. And I love this. He doesn't say just go and dig one ditch. He says what? Make the valley full of ditches. All right, everybody, get a shovel. Let's go. I didn't bring shovels. Okay, use your sword, whatever you got to do. Make the valley full of ditches. God gave them an amazing victory that day. As the worship team comes up, I want to ask you a question right after I take another sip. What is the legacy 
that you want to leave for your children? What is the legacy that you want to leave in this community? What is the legacy that you want to leave in this church? I've always lived in fairly populated places. This is the first time that I'm living in a place where I can look up in the sky at night on a cloudless day and see beautiful stars. Have you seen them? First time ever, ever in my life, I saw a comet when I moved here. I'd never seen one before. And I'm pretty old. Why you laugh at that? I don't know. But anyway. And I'm like, wow, you know. And I'm looking at those lights. I'm looking at those stars. And then I realize something. Those stars, science tells us, are no longer there. They burnt that. Many of those stars burnt that a long time ago. But we still see the light. I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of a star. I want to leave that kind of a legacy that when I'm burnt out and I'm gone, people still see the light. Amen? So pick up a shovel and dig some ditches for the glory of God and see him, watch him cause it to rain. Amen?